News Talk On Demand. Interruption-free audio, where you want it, when you want it. Good morning and welcome to Garden Talk. I'm Rick Van Damdijk. I'd like you to join me today on either the phone call or text at one 332 8255 Jill is away today and she is out in Edmonton today at a ringette tournament with her daughter. Seems like a bunch of my grandchildren are all, all over the place. One, another granddaughter is in Regina for another ringette tournament. So there's lots going on on the ice this weekend. So, um, and with the, as you just heard on the news, uh, now we're seeing the weather change quite a bit. So, uh, be prepared for that, especially if you're driving around. Sounds like there's going to be a lot of snow and blowing snow on some of the highways could be a little bit hazardous. So be careful as you're driving around. And, uh, also, uh, now that you've, we're seeing that they, we're seeing you know lows of, of um, minus 17, and it's going to get colder as the day goes on. And with the windshield factors, just make sure that uh, if you have any places where your plants are are wind blowing and there's no snow covered up there, now's a good time to get out there. Anything below minus 15 uh, with no snow cover, uh, you could have some trouble with, especially more, more tender perennials and uh, tender shrubs, maybe like hydrangeas and. Um, rhododendrons and um, and those kind of plants that might you might want to just a little more protection and that'll protect them that way so good time to do that while because tonight's going to be even colder we're talking about windshield factors close to minus 30 so um, we're starting to get cold well you know what we've got to we'll start up the the call right away we got Lorraine from Saskatoon when we go right to that so Lorraine good morning how are you okay good morning Lorraine hi how are you doing today I'm fine, thank you. Very good. Your question you have for me today? Um, my Saskatoon berry bush is quite large. Yes. But it and it gets berries every year, but the berries never ripen. They never ripen. Right. So two things can happen if they don't ripen. Uh, so do they just go hard, or do they get any? Yeah, they get hard. Do they get any any growth on them, like little like little um, almost tentacles on them at all? Mm, tentacles? No. Yeah, like or little red spots or any uh, rusty looking spots on them? Oh, maybe sometimes rusty spots. Yeah, because a lot of times what happens is if you get a fungal onto the onto the berries, they'll actually just go. They'll actually encapsulate and they'll go hard. Okay, and okay. then they won't ripen. So you have to watch for that. And sometimes you'll see almost little. They look like little fungal tentacles sticking out, almost like little little hairdos sticking out of the out of the berries as well. That's one way you can tell. But a lot of times you'll see a little rust on them or spots on the berries. Uh, so what you can do is, if you think you have that problem, is is um, two things: is 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 um, use a product called Bordeaux or copper spray, and you spray them after the after the blooms and when the berries start forming, and okay. s- spray it three times, ten days apart. And so you're going to be doing that in June, basically, okay? Because the basically the Saskatoon's ripen in July, correct? So. Um, so you want to spray them in June. The other thing you can watch for too is if if it's really really dry, then they won't ripen as well. So, yeah, no, we watered them and they're in a in a good place. We used to get uh, mites on them, so I was spraying them with for those like that they'd get little webs on them, and then yeah. But but if they're if they're just hardening and they encapsulate and go hard, you might have a fungal on them. But usually you'll get some. That will that will ripen and some a lot won't you know but uh, not usually get 100 percent but you're saying you're almost getting 100 percent are you? Yeah, and then the but the birds still eat them. Yeah, the uh, the birds there's still some value in in those plants but just not not all nice and fresh and plumpy for us for making our pies. So I I would do the I would do the the spray with the Bordeaux, 
And yeah. I, I would spray af- after they finish blooming. Uh, don't spray during the blooms for sure. And then after, when the when as soon as the ber- the berries start to form, then spray them three three times ten days apart. Ten days apart yeah. sounds good. Okay. Hey, I have I have a question about my last year amaryllis. Absolutely. Um, should I be it's sprouting but not doing a lot? Should I be fertilizing it? Uh, you can watch the moisture at that point in time when it's starting to sprout. You wanna you you don't wanna. You don't want to be too wet, but you want to be just a touch more moisture than you would with uh, with no blooms at all, because uh, you don't want to rot the bulb by going too wet. Okay. Right. Uh, but also, what you need to do is you need bright light. Okay. Yeah. Up and up until the time when they actually the flowers open up, and then you want to move them uh, away. Even direct sunlight would be good right now. But once the once the blooms start to open, you want to move them out of direct sunlight, but into bright light still. Okay. Because okay. then the, bloom, the blooms will last a lot longer if they're not in direct sunlight. So, Sounds good. But put them closer to the window. Um, I th- we have, we're facing east in our house, and we have a, a bunch of amaryllis, and some of them are shorter. And so I think that's because right now we have a big overhang on our east window, and I think we have to move them over to a south window just to get them to do that stretching up, and I think they just need some more direct sunlight. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great okay, day. Bye-bye. Well, if you'd like to join us, give us a call at one 332 8255 and you can give us a call, just like Lorraine did there, uh, or give us a text on the text line. That's one 332 8255 We have here um, uh, Lana from Shell Lake. I know rain or snow water is the best, but I have a lot of plants and wonder if I should use softened well water or hard water on them. What would be the best? Well, still the best would be uh, melting some snow water. Uh, rain water is, is by far the best. Uh, well water, um, the problem with that is that sometimes you'll get a lot more um, either magnesium or calcium or different things in them. That, that's just too much. The hard water, I, I tend, when I was using it, I didn't use water uh, that came through the softener. I just used water straight out of the well. And uh, when I on my acreage where I had, where I had a well, and uh, so I tried not to use a softener water because uh, that buildup of salts in, in your water is not good. So if you're going to use any one of those, then make sure that every second or third watering, you use that snow water to basically leach anything out of the soil. And so uh, if you don't want to use it every single time, making sure that you're using the snow water for sure every second or third time that you water, and that way you can keep up, because if you have a lot of plants, that's melting a lot of snow. And uh, so, but th- that what you can do... Um, uh, to help help those plants do a lot better, uh, we have been getting a lot of people also in the towns in the cities right now at the garden center, uh, giving us a call saying they're right now they're getting a lot of brown tips on their on their on their uh, leaves of their plant of house plants, and especially um, things like the palms, and and even the um, the um, the corn plants and and the dracaenas and those kind of things. So make sure that you're there again. The best way to stop that again is by using water, like melting snow water, or using rainwater, or, or and because what happens is that a lot of times you'll get in the municipal air towns you'll have a chlorination, or ways they um, they um, they clean the water, and sometimes those will cause problems on the tips of the plants. Um, so then using snow water is probably the best way to do it, and then also on top of that, making sure that your house plants. When you're watering them, making sure that you're at least fertilizing them once a month. Okay, so that's important to do once a month, and so that uh, uh, your plants still need food, just like we need food. Um, for some reason, I still eat 
meals three times a day, so <laughs> not sure why, but uh, but your plant's going to need food too. So make sure you're doing that, and uh, so that the plants um, will have uh, food for the wintertime because they still still are growing, uh, even though the daylight hours were into the we're getting close to the December what 23rd when we have the shortest daylight hours. So um, making sure that you um, need to, to feed the plants because they still are growing. As we see when Lorraine was talking about, you get the amaryllis bulbs, they're, they're pushing up their spikes, so they, so they are. So if you're going to, even the amaryllis bulb that you talked about, whether you should fertilize it, uh, that amaryllis bulb, if you're going to use a fertilizer, then I would just use a very light fertilizer. I wouldn't use a, things like a 20-20-20. I would just use more like a, a alfalfa pellet tea or some organic fertilizer, which has a low first number, nitrogen maybe of one or two or three. Uh, as a first number, but that's what I would use for that. So we're going to get to Larry here after the break. We're going to go to break right now. So you're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CQM and 980 CJME. Good morning. You're listening to Garden Talk. Uh, if you'd like to join us here today, I'd like you, like you to give us a call or text the same number, one 332 That's one 332 and we have, we'll go right away to the text line here. We have um, um, Jan here from Saskatoon. She says she has kettle lily corns that she did not get planted when they should have. Um, corns seem strong. How should I, what's the likelihood of getting them through the wintertime? So what I would do with those is I would, I would suggest putting them into a, into a paper bag with a little bit of peat moss or sawdust or anything with just a little touch bit of moisture, but barely any moisture at all because I don't want them to rot. If you really want them to be successful, then you put a little bit of bulb dust in with them, and this just helps them get in from fungals getting a hold of them. But if yours are strong, you may not have that problem anyways. And put them in a cool, dry place. And then what you want to do with the candle lilies or candle lilies, any one of those, is that then you want to bring them up uh, about, um, I would say, oh, about the middle of March, about there to the end of March. And then you bring them up and you pot them up and um, so that those top of the bulbs are just sticking out of the soil just slightly. And then get them started up so that the, uh, you can plant them out uh, once the risk of frost is gone in May. If you plant them up earlier, like even if you plant them up now, uh, they may start growing and they're just going to be way too big for you to handle uh, before you, you really want them to be. But uh, So otherwise, I would suggest is just storing them in a cool, dry place, put them in a paper bag. I like paper bags. A lot of people, you sometimes will buy them, they'll be in a plastic bag, but that plastic bag is really perforated, so they've got lots of air movement in it. So I, I like the paper bag. And then with just, a, like I said, just a little bit around them just to keep just a hint of moisture with them. But like I said, there's so little moisture that you barely even can tell. And uh, and then they'll be fine. Just put them in a cool, dry place, and they'll be good until um, um, un- until the, the spring when you're going you're gonna to pot them up. And um, then they'll do a lot better that way. And then we also have, um, uh, here we have uh, Al from Weyburn. Uh, can you start uh, cuttings from Diplophinia, um, like the man, related to the Mandevilla? I tried rooting them in approximately for five weeks, no signs of rooting yet. Yeah, you can, you can the Mandevilla, those kind of things, you, you can take cuttings with them. You can either put them in into water if you want, or what you do is you need to get a rooting hormone. It's called stem root number two that I would use for Mandevilla. And uh, you put them in a rooting hormone. You have to make sure you make your cut on when you're making your 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 trimmings. 
you'll have a you'll have a, the stem of your you take a cuttings off and then you have where the where the leaves come out of the stem. You have to be about a quarter inch lower than where the leaves come out, and then you can poke you can prick off some of those uh, the bottom leaves and then leave leave two at least two top leaves. But you want to be a quarter inch lower. Uh, was where you make your angle cut on your stem below those two little leaf nodes and then you dip them into the rooting hormone and then you can stick them into your um, into your into your potting media uh, it can be a, a potting mix or you know your 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 house plant mix or anything like that it could be like that it could be into a little jiffy pot uh, then you have to make sure that you keep that those top two leaves misted all the time. You can even put a little tent around them to help keep humidity in with them, and that way you just put a little little glass jar of water in in beside uh, your 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 jiffy pot with the plant in it, and then that'll with a little tent around it that'll just help keep humidity in there, and um, and then the plants will usually in about 14 to 20 days uh, they'll start to they'll start to root. And so that's with a lot of those plants like that. Like I said, you can either try to stick them in straight water, but you still need that little, um, those little nodes coming out that's in the water because that's where the roots will pop out is where that node is or just around that node. Uh, that's what's so important. And some people just make the cut and they just leave a piece of the stem sticking in and the roots just nine times out of ten won't come out of that stem. It has to come out where there's, where there's going to be a node. And so that's important. So that's one thing that you can try. Uh, when you when you're doing your cuttings, um, also what I'd like to do is that you know with winter come here now and the days getting so short, there's a lot of things that gardeners like to do, and one thing that gardeners can do is the University of Saskatchewan has some great seminars. They have them right through the winter time, like right now, even even um, in during December. I was just looking at at their Facebook site. December 9th, they have birds. The, a lot of uh, a whole seminar about birds and and taking care of birds in the winter time. December twelfth, uh, insects in the garden, especially about beetles and how to take care of those. Uh, December thirteenth, bromelades and friends. So if you're really into the the bromelades and plants like that, and then the sixteenth, they talk about BC to Granada about different gardens and different plantings like that. So and there's a whole bunch more right through the whole winter time. So. Uh, you can check out uh, Facebook at USASC, uh, gardening at USASC it's how, on the Facebook site, or you can just go to the University of Saskatchewan Horticulture, and you can see a lot of what the seminars are there. So um, that's that's a great way to um, to be able, and all those are online, so you can join in online, and um, so it's a great way to um, be able to make the winter winter go by a little bit quicker and uh, have little visions of what can happen in the spring. And in relation to that whole December 9th when uh, they're going to be ca- talking about birds, you can also look up on, on, the, on, the, uh, on the internet um, uh, about uh, Nature Saskatchewan. And if you look on Nature Saskatchewan, you'll see a lot of things happening with bird watching. And you know, bird watching is, especially with the pandemic, even before the pandemic, uh, bird watching and bird feeding and all those kind of things have been probably one of the, in the gardening industry and in the, in the, even in the, in the, in the hardware stores and everything else have been saying that has been the biggest uh, uptake on sales is people wanting to put bird feeders in and, and watch birds and those kind of things. It's, it's something satisfying, satisfying about looking out your window and seeing a bunch of birds flying around your feeder and that. So anyways, if you're into, like to do some bird watching, there's lots to do this winter, even with the kids get out. Uh, starting, you can watch um, some of the Nature Saskatchewan websites because right here on December 18th, Clark's Crossing, 
and Olsen area, Martinsville area. They're going to be doing uh, a bird watching area there. Copel Dam around Elbow, December 19th, December 27th. There's the Saskatoon bird count, um, Christmas bird count, January 3rd is Pike Lake and Whitecap area. So there's lots of uh, things happening, and you can check there's 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 bird counts happening around the whole province. You can just check out your local uh, nature society or, or Saskatchewan uh, nature society, and then that way you'll be able to find out what bird watching you do. Or you can just, you know, look out your window and do some bird counting. And you can also, uh, there's a lot of places on, on those sites where you can actually enter in the birds that you see in your own backyard. And uh, and so you can do that as well. And it's just a fun thing for the kids to do and watch how many actually different birds that we have in our area. So one thing we can do here is we can um, we can check that out. And uh, so check it out by watching Nature Saskatchewan or the University of Saskatchewan uh, gardening at USASC. Uh, that's a great one as well. Another thing too is that we talked about earlier on is that I wanted people to f call in or text in their their favorite gardening Christmas gifts. So we can still do that this week. But I wanted to add one little thing also into that is that if if you got a gardener that has everything, but there's al also you may want to get is that there is a, a a magazine. It's called Gardener for the Prairies, and you can check that out. You can get a subscription. You can even give it away as a gift. And it, it's one thing I like about Gardener for the Prairies. It's, it's their office right here in Saskatoon. And they, they're basically everything in the magazine is relative to, to Saskatchewan. So there's four, four magazines a year. There's a spring, summer, winter, and fall one. So, uh, fall and winter. And so, uh, you can check that out too by, uh, Gardener, uh, Gardener on the Prairie for the Prairies. And, uh, you can check that out as well for a great Christmas gift. Um, you know what? We're going to go to a news break right now. And so we'd like you to join me here at one 332 8255 I'd love to hear your conversations about what you're doing in your home for gardening right now with your house plants or getting ready for your for your um, starting up your season. I mean, we only have very much longer. There's only 21 days till Christmas. And then only a short time after that when the gardening seed catalogs come out right away. So we're going to go to a break right now. You're listening to Rick Van Davenick. This is Garden Talk on 650 CQM and 980 CJME. Good morning and welcome to Garden Talk. If you'd like to join us here, I'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-877-332-8255. Uh, that's 1-877-332-8255. And again, that could be either by phoning in or the same number. You can text in as well. Uh, I do have... Um, a text here from from Julie in Battleford. She says that she's wrapped her her plants up, which I would imagine that's mostly cedars and junipers and all kind of things, because she said she left it at six inches off the bottom. So she's listening that you need to leave your burlap at least six inches off the bottom so snow goes in. So, but with the nice weather, all the snow melted at the base, and there's no snow to pile around them. I look at a minus 30 tonight with the windshield, which is true. Uh, what damage can I expect next spring? Um, a lot of those plants like that is mainly the tender plants I'd be more worried about. Um, uh, things like, again, your hydrangeas and your, your, some of your perennials, especially a lot of your perennials, because a lot of perennials we put in are zone four. So they do very well with the snow cover, but if they don't get the snow cover, uh, that's not great. So make sure you get those covered up. But with your, your cedars, like your Brandon cedars, your sky, sky bounds or your Wichita upright junipers and those kind of things, a lot of times, they, as long as they're well established, they'll be they'll be fine. But if you're worried about it and you have some snow in different parts of the yard, you can put that in. Or remember how I said to everybody to um, you know bag their leaves up and. 
put those bags in a corner. Well, this is when you need to bring those bags out of that corner right now and, and you know, use them for mulch. Um, and then, um, then if you don't use them, then you put it in your compost in the spring. But uh, best to hang on to those leaves or, or even if you don't have leaves, you can still uh, go to your local your local hardware store or Home Depot, Rona, whatever, garden center, and pick up some uh, bark mulch as well. And you can just put another layer of bark mulch around them, and that'll help as well. And then it'll also help to retain moisture for next year as well around the plant once you sort of spread it out, and uh, it'll be good that way. So um, uh, so otherwise, like I said, if it's an older plant, they'll be fine. Um, like I said, it's going to be you know more in the minus um, uh, temperatures of minus you know 18 to 20 with windshield factors uh, that high but I mean we will get some snow and it will cover up the ground again and they'll be they'll be fine yet the older plants I just more worried about the tender more tender plants than some of those um, those other um, the other cedars and junipers that can that can take the more of the colder weather um, we also have here Pat in Melford um, I've had a problem with a couple of my amaryllis bulbs one is not growing at all, and has it has, uh, and all of, of one of them has leaves two feet high, but no bloom stalk yet. After about six weeks, any suggestions? This is Pat from Melford. Just make sure you got those plants in lots of light. That's the big thing, and um, and it, they will come. I mean, a lot of times, depending on when you you planted them, uh, sometimes they'll come right before Christmas, and uh, right now. Basically, you should be able to start seeing, get them to bloom by Christmas. You should see that, that bloom stalk coming out of the ground a bit. But, uh, but make sure that it depends on the bulb. Sometimes if the bulb doesn't have enough energy in it, it's just going to need a little bit more time to be able to produce that, that flower stalk. So make sure you put it in bright light. That's the key. And, uh, so direct some direct sunlight. It'd be even better if you can do that. And, and then also watch your moisture. Um, don't give it too much moisture because you can rot that bulb, especially if there's no leaves or anything coming out of the ground yet. And, uh, and, or what you can do too, if there's absolutely nothing coming out, you can pull that bulb, bulb out of the pot. And then you can just basically check to see, make sure that the roots are all, they're not all rotten and, and, and uh, mushy and rotten. And basically, basically just, just do an inspection, make sure, feel for soft spots in the bulb and that. And then you can plant it right back into some fresh soil again. And there again, just a, just a little hint of moisture. You can even uh, put some moisture into that soil before you plant the bulb. And then that's all you need. And then there again, put that bulb back in the sunlight again, direct sunlight again. And then usually that shock, uh, of being transplanted will get that plant to, to trigger to start to bloom again. So that's something you can do um, to check it out that way. But uh, other than that, if you're, if you're, like we talked about before, if, you're, if your amaryllis bulbs are starting to push their stalks already, we have one plant that's pushing two stalks at the same time, the amaryllis bulb. So usually I like to see one come up and then the other one come up after the other one's just finished blooming because then you can enjoy it a lot longer. But uh, when they do, two stalks do come up, you have a massive show of, of when both of them start to bloom right away. So, um, but uh, otherwise, just um, when they start putting up their stalk, make sure that you just a little bit more moisture uh, than you would when you're, when you're keeping it dormant. So it will need a little bit more moisture because it is putting up that big stalk. And if you want to put some fertilizer in with it, just a, just a very, very mild fertilizer, um, not a very strong high nitrogen at all. And so that'll help it. And even, even having a little bit of phosphorus and potassium just helps make that bulb a little bit stronger as well. So... 
uh, you can do with that. Now, uh, also, uh, I've noticed that a lot of poinsettias all over uh, right now, both in the stores, grocery stores, garden centers, Costco's, everything else. And the only thing I'm seeing what happening, especially with this cold weather coming up, I see people um, with their, these poinsettias in their in their um, in their 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 their, their their basket, their carriage, or whatever their their um, shopping cart, and they're rolling it out to the parking lot, and so it only takes that short time for those plants to to get damaged from the from the cold when it's gets when especially a windshield of minus thirty. So make sure that you um, if you're going to go pick up a plant, and I know we a lot of times we do it on impulse, we just pick it up, we see that plant, and we pick it up. But if you know that you're going to pick up a plant sometime, you know bring along with you a, a little light sheet or something like that just to put over top of it just to uh, to help protect it uh, if there's available a lot of times you'll see in these in the stores they'll have in one corner they'll have a wrapping station so make sure you wrap them with paper if you can and then also some plastic over top of that, that that's the best way when it's really cold paper first and then plastic one thing about plastic if you just use plastic alone, unless you uh, unless you get use a, like a dry cleaner's bag, which I like using, and then you can actually just blow hold the top open just like you would a balloon and blow into it, so you get an air, like you get a you get a, like a balloon, so that the the bag's not touching as many leaves as possible, because wherever the 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 plastic is touching the leaves, if it's no paper between, uh, you can the cold will go right to that leaf as well. So, um, so that's that's one thing. But not just using plastic by itself, unless you can, like I said, blow it up like a big balloon and then uh, get it so that it's uh, uh, the, the plastic's not touching the leaves as much as you can. And then just being careful. Now that goes whether poinsettias, whether you can bring out a Christmas cactus. Uh, doesn't matter what you're bringing uh, out from the from from the the store out to the side, making sure that you have some protection for them, and make sure that your car is warm. And then also, um, one thing we ask when, when people are leaving the store: so, uh, are you going to continue shopping, or are you going to go home? So you don't want to leave that that plant in your car if you're going to go make a whole bunch more stops and you turn off the car, and uh, and it's going to get a lot fairly cold in the in the vehicle. So so make sure that you. Um, you uh, have that in a spot where it can stay warm for a while and um, so or go directly home and then make sure that when you get home just um, open it up or if you're going to give it away as a gift just open up the plastic you don't have to even open up the top of the paper and then that way you can close them down when you're going to actually take them to be uh, to someone's place to the to for a gift as well and definitely you don't want to leave those on somebody's step if they're not home so i've seen that too so uh, make sure you don't do that and uh, and that way um, we can make sure that you're uh, the plants make it to where they want uh, the best way. So we're going to go to another break right now, and you're listening to 650 CQM and 980 CJME. Good morning, and welcome to Garden Talk. Uh, I'd like you to just give me a call at one 332 8255 I'd love to hear from you or even your text. Um, I don't like you listening to my voice as much. I'd rather listen to yours. And so give us a call at one 332 8255 You can do that on the phone or by text. Um, one thing I, I did was I was, um, I was looking at the Saskatoon Horticulture Society's uh, Facebook site, and they had, they had a, a, a little article on, on, 
on companion planting. And they basically had a couple, whole bunch of rows of cabbages, and in between each row of cabbages, right tight, was rows of marigolds, and putting companion plants. And the reason why they were doing that for is basically the, uh, the, a lot of the moss and those kind of things which lay their eggs, and then you get the caterpillars in your cabbages, uh, they don't like the, the, um, the, the marigolds, so that helps keep them away, sort of a, sort of a, a healthy companion to be able to protect the one, one plant protects the other. So those are the kind of things you can do. I know there's horticulture societies right across Saskatchewan, whether you're in Yorkton or Swift Current or Regina, Saskatoon, Prince Albert, doesn't matter. Uh, you can check the, some of their sites. They have Facebook sites. You can even uh, go to some of, when they do get into not, uh, where they can do the virtual little seminars and when they do get to have the in-person ones as well. Those are very, very uh, great to go to and, uh, and there's lots of good information on there and, and good reads uh, also so for in the winter time when we're thinking about our gardens out there for the summer as well. So um, uh, also I had a, a, an e, a text here from uh, Rick from Laird. He was said he, uh, he he this fall when I gave him some advice on fertilizing some 60, 60 foot pine trees, and he wants to place granular fertilizer. So when you plate the granular fertilizer, I would suggest when you put it down, I would suggest putting it down over top of the snow and do that in March when there's still some snow on the ground. And you want to put it out at the drip line of the trees. That's where you, that's where the feeder roots are from the plants. So the drip line of the tree is where the at the edge of the branches, not right at the trunk. That's where great big roots are. The, the feeder roots are right where the the water sheds off the tree. So right at the outer edge of the plants. And then if you can do a usually about three feet inside that tips of the at the end, end of the branches to three feet outside the branches. So that's sort of a six foot swath. And so if you can do that, especially in the bigger trees, uh, if you put that fertilizer there, and I like putting it, especially if you've got a shelter belt like he's talking about, um, I like putting it into, uh, in, in March in the snow because when the snow melts, it, the, the, when you put it down on top of the snow, it melts down to the, right to the bottom to the ground. And when the snow melts, it takes that fertilizer right down to the root zone. You don't have to worry about it raining or, or something like that to be able to do that. We're going to go to Greg here in Saskatoon. Um, Press the right button here. Good morning, Greg. How are you today? Hi, Rick. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Uh, I work at an elementary school, and we've got an ambitious indoor growing operation going where we like to grow lettuce. Yes. And I've got an aphid breakout, but the breakout is in a aeroponic tower that has no soil, and we would yep. love a natural solution to our problem. Well, see, the, the probably the, the natural solution with that would be uh, getting a hold of, and that's going to be tough getting a hold of this year, is getting a hold of some, some beneficial insects, okay? So there's a little wasp, a parasitic wasp that you can release in there, and then it goes and it seeks and destroys and goes after the other ones. Okay. Uh, the aphids, there's ones you can do. And you can check, uh, like I said, the garden centers won't have them until spring, but you might be able to go online and look for one that you might be able to get this time of the year because I know some of the, the greenhouses that um, that had grow tomatoes and cucumbers and that kind of all year use them quite a bit. And they also, also uh, ladybugs, introducing ladybugs as well. Uh, is okay. great. Now, ladybugs have been hard to find the last couple of years because there's been sort of a uh, a problem with the the uh, reproduction of, of the ladybugs the last bunch of years for the for the large commercial operations. So. Um, but those, if you're going to use that, I, those are two things: the parasitic wasp, or otherwise the the um, uh, using using the um, ladybug, or otherwise even the prey man, uh, the praying mantis. 
is another one that okay. that's a good one. The kids love the praying mantis, and it okay, goes after. That would, that would mesh well with our and, with our purpose. And that would mesh well as well. And so, you, if you look for them online, you might be able to find them and get them shipped to you. The problem right now, this time of the year, is so cold to ship things, right? So, um, right. Uh, but they might have a ways they can do it. They put them in insulated boxes and those kind of things. But if you want to go totally the natural way, uh, the natural predators is the way to go. Okay, and if we can't. Um, obtain predators, yep. what's our next alternative? Uh, we want to eat this lettuce still, so. Yep, what, what you can use then is, I, I would tend to use things like um, uh, things like Endol or insecticidal soap. Insecticidal okay. soap, uh, you can use that and you can, especially insecticidal soap is probably the best one to use. Uh, Endol is another one. Endol has canola oil. Uh, it has insecticidal soap and has a little touch of pyrethrin in it. And, uh, okay. but otherwise just use the straight insecticidal soap. And cause what happens is aphids breathe through their skin. So the soap, what it does is it basically plugs up the pores on their skin and suffocates them. Okay. Okay. And the lettuce is still edible after lettuce treatment? Is, lettuce is still edible after treatment. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So we have here, um, we have here also here, um, good morning. Do you have Christmas trees in stock? That's, that's a good question. Do you have Christmas trees in stock? At our garden center, very few. We're down to the last basically 10% of the trees. Unbelievable how quick they've been going this year. Uh, so if you are wanting your Christmas tree this year, I would suggest because of the shortage this year, uh, go out, even if you're not going to put it up for, you know, a, a week or two yet. Um, so make sure that you at least go out there and, and get your Christmas tree. Uh, very important. I know greens have been in shortage, um, like the cedar boughs and pines and silver fir and those kind of things uh, because of the highways closed from uh, BC. And also the, the, a lot of the uh, cedar we get from here all comes from the coastline of British Columbia. And uh, the cutters have been so wet, the cutters just can't get out. Uh, we've been trying to order more than what we've we pre-ordered. And they say we just can't do it because we're just trying to keep up to the orders that were pre-ordered already. And with the trucks being down and the highways being closed, we're every every time we get them in, it only a day or two after we get an order in. And usually we, our orders usually come in on, on Wednesday nights or Thursday mornings. Uh, they barely even make it to the weekend. So um, And so that's something to watch for too. Uh, we're going to go to Larry here in Osler. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. I'm interested in how to store squash for the winter. You're going to store squash for the winter time. Well, the, the probably the do you want to keep it as a whole plant, or you want to actually probably the best way to do it is is to is to um, is to get it ready and and preserve it and and either freeze it or or put it into whatever you're going to make with it, canning it or whatever. That's probably the best way. But if you're just going to store it, it has to be basically in a, in a dark, um, not totally dry, but a dry area where you can hold you can store it the longest. And uh, even if you could store squash. If you store it, if you have a fridge, you can put it, you'd have to put it into a crisper in a fridge. That will help last a little bit long, too. And because you want to be, your temperature is going to be around to store, it's going to be around that four degrees, four to five degrees to store it. That's what will make it last the longest. But, uh, but for, for me, I would suggest it's really hard to get squash to, to last a long time. Uh, so just to use it up or to make whatever you're going to make out of it. Uh, and then store it in, in this final, uh, final, uh, form that you want to use it in would be the best way to do it. And, uh, rather than just, rather than keeping the whole squash itself, cause it's, it's I have a couple squash that have turned orange. Yep. Uh, 
Does that mean that they're crossed or something? Well, when they turn orange, that means they're just they could be they're just they're they're over ripening, right? And so okay. so that means they're not going to last very much longer at all. So um, what about can, are they going to cross squash with watermelon? Are they going to cross squash? Well, there, there's people trying all kinds of different things. So I can imagine there's there's been there's been tomato potato plants. There's been all kinds of different things, Kevin. So every time there's somebody trying to to to, to cross something or change something to be able to to be able to put a new product on there. So I, I can see that happening very very easily. So because uh, you're seeing all kinds of different things, new types of gourds coming out all the time as well, uh, different types of pumpkins coming out all the time. So squash, I can see that. That evolving as well. Great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for joining us today and uh, join us next week. And uh, this is 650 CQM and 980 CJME.